Hi and welcome to the New Mind Project. Today is your opportunity to create something rather special in your life. My name is Martin Cole and together we are going to be creating the life you are meant to live. You're listening to the New Mind Project podcast and it's time to get this show on the road. How to create the life that you are meant to live. Chapter 8. Belief. In this chapter, I will explore the meaning of personal belief and why acknowledging our belief system and inherent biases that go along with those can facilitate us reaching personal goals. If I hold the word belief in my mind for a moment and drill down into it, my mind locks on to how limiting and restrictive it is. I can't say you will have the same response, but I'm betting it will not be far off. Belief is such a small word and yet it summarises what and who we are. We are that which we believe ourselves to be. What we believe to be true is true. Furthermore, nothing moves very far in our life until we hold a belief about it. Once we've created a conclusion about something, it makes sense. What makes sense to us might be false in another person's opinion about the same topic. So the concept of belief has little to do with reality, but it has a lot to do with what we believe it to be. Okay, that is a lot of circular language going on. Let's try and summarise the relevance of the concept of belief to the way it can change our lives. Belief is what you believe it to be. Your life is a direct manifestation of what you believe your life to be. Your beliefs are created by your environment. Your environment reinforces your beliefs. From this, we must conclude that our lives play out and depend on our beliefs. These will have been handed to us or created by us. In many ways, therefore, we could all be described as walking, talking belief machines that are running a program stuck in an infinite loop that ensures the minimising of risk by not changing the program. The program is not changed because of the belief that the machine holds about itself, which is that any change will place the device at risk and vulnerable to losing something. To continue with the metaphor of a computer, the only way out of this loop on a computer is to press Ctrl-Alt-Delete, which pops up a window so you can select which offending program you want to stop running. And it would be convenient to have the same simple keystrokes for ourselves. But that is not the case, and even if it were, because of what we believe of ourselves, we might stop a beneficial program from running. So what we can deduce so far is that beliefs can cause us to spend the more significant part of our day-to-day -day lives on autopilot. Autopilot is perfect for repetitive tasks and efficiency, but limiting if we want to explore new things and take our lives in a different direction. So how do you know you want to go in a different direction if you're on autopilot? Well, because you're reading this book. The moment you had the thought this book or recording could assist you you selected it. As you started reading or listening, you would have developed a belief about your decision. If you are still learning and still motivated to continue, then you have established, at this point, a feeling that you should continue with this present course of action. Congratulations on reaching this important milestone towards changing your lifestyle. So in order to move ahead now, I want to encourage you to engage in a thorough examination of our current known and unknown beliefs. As we've already established in chapter 3, by examining a thought, feeling, action or emotion in greater and greater detail, 
we stand a real chance of seeing into its core, where it came from and how it is impacting our lives. In this moment of exploration, we may well transform it into something else. We have the beliefs we know to be true. Those that don't hold the same opinions as us are just plain wrong. Here are some simple common beliefs that are controversial. The Conservatives are better than Labour. The Democrats are better than the Republicans. And some more complex ones. Smokers should have to pay for their own cancer treatment. Overweight people should get free stomach stapling. I mean these sort of statements go without saying, right? Ask yourself how far you will go to defend or deny your belief. To the death? Many in the past have done so. People will take up arms and kill another person based on a belief, and many turning points in history have involved such a sacrifice. The suffragette Emily Davison fatal collision with a king's horse at Epsom in 1913 would be one example. A belief involves a chemical fired across the brain, reacting with another compound that triggers a belief in something. The other person goes through the same process, but arrives at a different established belief that will defend to the death. We can go from being compassionate and altruistic to callous and barbaric depending upon the beliefs we hold and how strongly we feel the need to uphold them. As we have already explored in previous chapters, many of these beliefs are provided to us by our environment and those around us. If we had grown up in an American household that was staunchly republic and spent time every day celebrating the downfall and stupidity of the Democrats, what beliefs would we hold? The same example could be used if we had grown up under a different flag with social or economic differences. We like to believe that we are rational. We can hold off our beliefs and then evaluate new evidence with the ability to have our current conviction thrown out of the window and welcome in a new one by the front door. This is often not true. The only way beliefs change easily is when we are confronted with something that shatters our faith in it because of what we observe to be undeniable. The day the Wright brothers flew changed beliefs about flight en masse. Until that time, it was widely perceived that man could not fly. Likewise, ships made of metal would certainly sink, numerous people told the designer, not understanding the physics of displacement of water. Similarly, a man could not run a mile in under four minutes until that record was broken. And think about the historical belief that a man would die at speeds above 30 miles per hour when the railways started to take off. The lunar landings of 1969 was also an example. Did they take place? Did Stanley Kubrick fake them? Those who struggled to make sense of these enormous paradigm changes in their belief system adopted coping strategies for their anguish that included creating conspiracy theories. These are examples of mass belief change in an instant. Individually, things are different as we do not have the collective consciousness working with us. Social proof is not there. We as individuals have throughout our lives built up beliefs about who we are and what we can do. These beliefs hold our lives in a pattern that those beliefs represent. Our beliefs are like a comfortable pair of carpet slippers. Beliefs offer us security and safety, even though safety is more often than not only relative to us. The changing of beliefs is the only way that we can change our lives and then accept that change as normal. What is normal? Normal is any belief that you hold now and defend as true. When you move to a new belief, that new belief will have to take on the same measure of truth. When it does, you will now hold and defend that new belief as accurate. Belief exchange, as you can understand, is not as simple process as it first seems. 
Making a goal and working towards it is a path that we must take. However, because of the beliefs we hold about ourselves, that approach is why so many people fail. Most individuals fail to reach their goals, or they reach them only to find themselves right back where they started a few months later. Also worth considering is the effect of other people's beliefs on us. For example, reflect on a belief you hold about people around you. In a managerial position, responsible for staffing, a manager will have beliefs about the capabilities of employees. Those beliefs could be based on a bias and could affect all employees. But managers base decisions upon what is believed to be true about a person and how that person will handle the job. In summary, regardless of your time in a job, you will have beliefs about the effectiveness of a person and that will colour your decision-making process. Our beliefs can therefore limit our own lives and the lives of others. Others' beliefs about us can define our lives and impact our future on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. So beliefs are a mess. A mess that we must sort out and take control of. When we do, we will discover our new self. We will move toward our life-changing goals where we can take up and live by the new set of beliefs that we have created. But we must never forget that once these beliefs become established, they once again trap us. For us to create wealth and freedom in our lives, we will need to take a two-pronged approach. First, we must learn how to take control of our beliefs. We need to develop the skill of belief destruction and belief creation. Secondly, we must understand the concept of use value as it transposes to our and other lives. We then use that knowledge to supply use value to others. Use value, as we explored in chapter 5, should be thought of as something that enhances the life of the receiver and the giver. If we master these two principles, then we will have a clear sight line to everything that we want to happen in our own lives. But just how successful is this use value exchange method? This method has and continues to facilitate people to living healthier, happier and more rewarding lives. In some cases, this method has produced billionaires. In most cases, the success of these billionaires went beyond their expectations. Their progress happened because they knowingly or unknowingly supplied either real or false life-enhancing value. Keep in mind that life-enhancing value is relative to the life it affects. Something that might enhance my life may well cause nothing more than a smile on your face. That doesn't mean it is any less meaningful. These almost overnight billionaires, as we might term them, are created when their product or service strikes a universal neuron in the collective consciousness that we are all part of. Their product or service can then appear to take on a life of its own and experience exponential growth. Chapter 9. Collective Manipulation In this chapter, I examine a common human trait, manipulation. I explain that this can be positive as well as negative in different circumstances. Suspend judgment on this concept during this chapter and reflect on what kinds of manipulative behaviour you personally engage in, whether it's salesmanship or something else. You can learn to use manipulation alongside other tools in my method as a positive social tool that will enable you to reach your goals. It's human nature to sometimes want to manipulate others' behaviours and circumstances for the betterment of ourselves or our personal agenda. Confronting someone with that statement will often cause pushback, some form of defence. Accepting that we can all have manipulative traits can be quite challenging. We somehow feel guilty and affronted to have this so blatantly presented to us. The truth is that some people are born manipulators. 
The sooner you accept this, the sooner you will understand that it is a natural human trait and one that you should not shy away from by burying your head into the sand. Already as you read these words, you're probably pushing back, probably because you don't want to be seen or known as a manipulator as it has negative connotations. You want the rewards it brings, but do not wish to acknowledge the root cause or reason. You don't want to know yourself. One of the most significant holdbacks for personal change is the inability to know yourself. Until you know yourself and accept human traits for what they are, you will likely remain underdeveloped. To know yourself and to know your inner self, that part that runs on autopilot, is to know others. And to know others gives you tremendous leverage to create the life that you want to live. In today's world, we have sometimes taken manipulation to the extreme. For instance, in the advertisement mentioned in Chapter 6, we can see how those who are fully aware of manipulation and embrace it as an emotional extraction tool often quickly rise to prominence. These people extract from everyone they can. They care for nothing other than the spoils they seek. And you may know these people within a few minutes of meeting them. You can especially see them and their tactics when they are close to another person you know well. You might, for example, know of a couple in a relationship and you observe that one of them is manipulating the other for personal gain or dominance and control. Today, you can manipulate from a distance. For instance, the creators of so-called fake news know how to manipulate their audience for clickbait-type advertising purposes. They can extract from others through well-crafted misinformation and anyone can do this with impunity. Whereas we once observed a person and could judge the manipulation, now we become victims to clever slogans and marketing that appeals to our subconscious. In a person-to-person -person interaction, we have some protection, and the manipulator knows this. Without this interaction, we become more vulnerable. We are developing thicker skins. We are starting to awaken to the fakery of the world around us. It's one of the aims of this book to promote this awakening so that you may be offered some protection from ruthless manipulators. When things go too far. The skilled manipulator has a built-in barometer. It is used to gauge how far he or she can go with his manipulation before he gets pushed back. The stakes are high and his inner psyche knows it. Think of this as something like a safety valve on a pressure cooker. For example, when two people meet who have cultivated the skills of manipulation, we are bound to see antagonism in one form or another. This will often first present itself as a tit-for-tat game with humour. Underlying, however, there is no humour. This is testing the opposing force. These relationships are either over quickly, as both move on to easier manipulated partners, or if circumstances dictate that separation is difficult, it can turn physical as one person realises that psychological manipulation is no longer practical. When you break down manipulation with honesty, you see that it comes down to you getting what you want. That's it. You will manipulate those around you to get what you want. If you're reading this and think you don't do this, then you are lying to yourself. Manipulation is not a problem unless you make it so. Success in life depends upon your ability to manipulate and you should embrace this, providing you're not causing harm. What you should not do is subscribe to the modern concept of dog-eat-dog -dog, because it will not be long before you run into a more ferocious opponent. So I argue that the concept of manipulation is best approached from another perspective. To follow is an example. Say you have a friend and she has a violent toothache and a morbid fear of dentists. She knows what has to be done, you know what has to be done. 
you have to manipulate her state of mind so that you can get her to the dentist. Your manipulation is not self-serving in this case. You are using your innate manipulative skills to persuade her to take action. You might even hold her as you talk to her and tell her that you'll be there to hold her hand. All this is manipulation. It's beneficial manipulation. Weeks later, pain gone, you need something. You need your friend to lie for you. You know she would not normally do this. Your built-in manipulation trait finds something that can be used to get what you want. You explain to your friend what you want and you slip in the dentist memory and how you were there for her. She reluctantly tells the lie for you. That beneficial manipulation to get her to the dentist has changed complexion. This is now self-serving manipulation at the expense of another. In the world of creating use value that we are exploring, this should not and cannot be acceptable. Whichever way you slice or dice it, whichever way you want to explain it, we have inbuilt hardwired manipulative tendencies. We use them consciously and unconsciously in all situations, where they will move us closer to what we want and further away from what we don't want. If at this point you have accepted that you are a manipulator, you are now forewarned against others using manipulation against you. You will still be manipulated, but not to the same extent. How can we turn this concept into a tool for positive change? To use this natural skill for the best outcome for you, it is worth thinking about its original human survival purpose. It would have been little benefit for you to manipulate your fellow hunters to exchange their bows and arrows and spears for strings of pearls. If you did this, you would be the only one with weapons. You are the only one that can bring home the mammoth to the cave. In the above example, the use of manipulation would have been taken too far. It's no longer self-serving. It's actually threatening. The pearl holders are happy for now they have their pearls. Winter is coming. Cold and hunger are around the corner. You need help. You cannot bring home the mammoth on your own. The hunters in your tribe have discovered that they can take their pearls to the next tribe in exchange for food and clothing. You now have a pile of weapons that are not in demand as the other tribe makes their own. You will perish. You need to convince the other hunting for your own food is better in the long run. Now you need to manipulate them not to give up their pearls, but to take up their weapons. The situation quickly got out of hand because one person was using manipulation for accumulation to the detriment of others. Maybe he thought if he had all the weapons, then he would be safe. Perhaps he thought with all the weapons, he might become the chief. This type of manipulation is destructive by nature. And the reason for this is that we focus on short-term gain, which is the world that we live in today. We are so disjointed and so disconnected from one another that our manipulation has turned in on itself. Our manipulation is consuming our lives while we accumulate all the weapons. We are starving alone with others looking on. Our hard-wired manipulation skills are there for our survival, but we have redirected them to enable us to take at random from others to hoard for ourselves. Don't tell me you're not a manipulator. You are. And that's a fact. Don't tell me you're not self-serving. You are. That's a fact. What are you going to do about it? If your life is complete in every way, then you will probably carry on right as you are. But given the fact that you are reading this book, I will hazard a guess this is not the case. How about we use our manipulation skills to put valuable life-enhancing tools and expertise in the hands of those we are trying to manipulate? How long would it be before those that we were manipulating were trying to manage their lives to actively seek us out? What if we were the tribe that manipulated life-enhancing tools 
into the hands of others. What if we were successful at it? How long would it be before others were manipulating their lives to reach us so they could get some of those tools? Manipulation used in this way will cause a viral effect. Here's an example of the sales skills that come from manipulation tools. When that first washing machine salesman knocked on the door of the housewife to manipulate or persuade her to agree to pay for this new household device that only very few had, what was he selling? The most successful salesman was not selling the washing machine itself. He instead sold a device that would unchain the housewife from the bath or basin where for hours she had stood hand-scrubbing clothes. These were the beginning days of commercial life-enhancing products and services. These salesmen, these companies, formed metal and electric motors into freedom machines. They sold more quality family time. In providing this real life-enhancing value, these companies came to dominate the world before sometimes turning in on themselves to eat away at their own core as they slipped from delivering value to manipulating money from pockets. You may also be manipulating money from pockets, but you will be providing life-enhancing value too. So customers will welcome your manipulation with open arms. Well, that's it for this show. Make sure you're subscribed so you get notified of the next show, where, as always, we will be focused on creating your best life, the life you were meant to live. If you have any questions or comments, hop on over to our Facebook group called The New Mind Project, a group dedicated to creating remarkable lives the lives we were meant to live. Whatever platform you're listening on today, make a big difference in the life of others with just a quick show rating. It really does make a world of difference. You'll also find show notes and other downloads over on the newmindproject.com. All the very best for my family yours. Catch up with you soon.